This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. The boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. Joining me as usual, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. How are you? Good, Wally. How are you? I'm doing great. I hope you're feeling better. Much better, Good. much better. Good stuff. Listen, Naz, I understand you've been moonlighting on me, uh, uh, doing an appearance on uh, some rival network. Uh, tell me all about that. Oh, it's just, well, the fan? <laughs> yeah. No, they were there, but Matthew's show was on yesterday, um, uh, 9 to 12, right? Yeah. And uh, they asked the question, if Canada and Italy would play each other, who would we Cup. go for? Yeah, and uh, they asked me, and I told them I'd go with Canada, one hundred percent. Yeah, that's uh, that's a, that's a topic we'll talk talk today. In case our listeners didn't know, uh, um, Naz's son Matt is a is a personality down at the fan, and uh, we've had him on the show here a few times. A young, exciting young sports uh, sports uh, journalist, sports broadcaster, uh, Matt Marchese. He's uh, got a extremely bright future in the business and Naz, uh, I'm sure that must have meant all the world to you to be able to uh, to appear on your son's show uh, I, uh, fantastic, good stuff and it's a topic we're going to talk about today um, because Canada what an incredible two weeks for the Canadian men's national football slash soccer team um, who would have thunk it they, uh, in this latest round, they, they won all three games, two of them in uh, in uh, Central America, where they haven't done all that well before, and an incredible game against the United States last Sunday at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton. Uh, we are all getting extremely excited about the men's national soccer team, and who better to talk about it after, just after the first break than Canadian Soccer Hall of Famers and uh, have been capped proudly wore the red and white back in the late 70s and early 80s. Carmen Marcantonio and Roberto Iarushi. So we're going to get an opportunity to celebrate what's going on in Canadian men's national soccer as we make our way towards the World Cup uh, this fall. And it looks pretty good that Canada's going to have a team there. And I know, Naz, you were on the air yesterday talking about what happens if Canada meets Italy and uh, which uh, which way we line up with that game. And, Naz, I know you uh, said you'll be proudly wearing the red and white. A lot of times it's the black and white, but we, uh, we all know what that means. We'll be singing, oh, Canada, at the beginning of the game. It's, it's a wonderful celebration when they start these World Cup games. Each of the teams lines up and they bellow out their own national anthems. I know, Naz, you're going to be belting out O Canada, as will I. Um, I mean, obviously, we are passionate Azzurri fans, but in a matchup against Canada, I'm right there with you, Naz. Yeah, for sure. Uh, certainly. So we'll get a chance to talk about that later on in the hour. 
the Olympics are going on in Beijing. Um, started this week. Uh, we're going to have the privilege of speaking with Richard Pound, the first president of the World Anti-Doping Agency, and Canada's, I believe he's the world's longest-serving member of, of the IOC. He's, he's certainly Mr. Olympics in Canada, and who better to talk about the Olympics than Richard Pound. Uh, Beijing uh, this year is not without its controversy. Politics, uh, it uh, rears its ugly head in all in all facets of human endeavor these days, and it's certainly rearing its head in the Beijing Olympics. Uh, quite a bit going on over there. Quite a bit of criticism of the uh, of the regime over there, and what's going on in that country, and how the Olympic movement should react to it. So we'll have we'll certainly have that opportunity. Leafs, uh, Naz, I hope we get a chance, perhaps at the end of the show, to to get them in. But uh, we got a few minutes before to go to break. Uh, that nice little run before going into the All-Star break there, Naz. Uh, bring us up to speed. For both, both the Leafs and the uh, Raptors, they've been very impressive, both teams. What do you, uh, what, you see? I mean, we, uh, you know, uh, uh, the first one against uh, the Devils was it was kind of a tough one. Uh, had to come back in that one, and but they uh, laid it to them the following evening in New Jersey. Um what do you see with this uh, awesome team, Ness? Awesome, has been terrific. And what, as, what, as, as Mitch Marner, they've been two group, great players every game. They're dominating out in the ice, and it looks good. Yeah, they certainly, uh, they certainly uh, you know, Austin Matthews uh, wouldn't say phenomenal he's taken. Player. He's phenomenal. He's absolutely phenomenal player. I wouldn't say he's taken his game to another level, but uh, he's certainly cemented his place in the conversation as 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 one of the top players in the NHL, I don't, not so sure I can go as far as saying the top player in the NHL, but he's certainly in the conversation, um, no question about it. Um, I mean, he's he's when he's when he's going, he's such a force out there. Um, so much skill, um, you know. He can play, he can play both ends of the ice. Then, as you said, Naz, they uh, at least had Mitch, they had missed Marner uh, for quite a bit of time. Marner. Uh, uh, perhaps for the first time in his career, a, a little bit of a victim of a little bit of criticism uh, earlier on in the season. But uh, since he's come back, uh, no criticism in his game at this point, Naz. No question. And he scored in seven straight games, Wally, so he's been pretty good. And uh, the defense is holding on just barely, though. I think they need some help back there. Though. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that would be the concerning part of this Leaf team, um, is the rear end, but they are, um, you know, you look at some of their stats, uh, they're fourth in goals for sixth in goals against. That's, that's not, that's not too shabby. I mean, we, we, we tend to microanalyze everything the Leafs do. And, you know, we see, you know, we watch the games, we see the glaring mistakes on the rear end and, you know, Muzzin, ha- I mean, he's injured, but he hasn't been having, you know, the greatest season by his standards. And, you know, some of the young guys are, you know, I think I think Sandine has upped his game. Um, you know, then some of the other guys get uh, get get criticized, Hole and Dermot and Lilligren and you know, and uh, as Leaf fans, we tend to we tend to over uh, over analyze and over criticize their mistakes. But you know, Leafs fans are Leafs fans. Right? That's that's what we do. Um, but we're on a we're on a pace for 119 points. We're basically tied. I mean, if you look at the you know we're we're 
eight points back of Tampa right now, but that's a misleading stat. We're five points back of Florida, but that's a misleading stat because we've got five games in hand on uh, on uh, Tampa and um, oh, uh, not reverse. No, sorry, eight games in hand on Tampa and five games in hand. I hope I've got the math right on Florida. So we're basically, if you go by points percentage, Leafs are basically tied for first place in their division. And uh, Boston, we you know, with these couple of victories that we just got, we got a little bit of space on Boston. I think they're five points behind us, and we have one game in hand. So if the Leafs can keep that little march going, um, you know, it could be interesting. As, uh, well, they have, they have a bunch of home games left. Well, there's a canceled games. They're almost all at home. So they're yeah, going to be at home a lot, a lot in the next couple of months. So you can see it being uh, very productive. And the Leafs can finish first. And uh, Boston could finish eighth, and they could play in a series anyway. <laughs> well, I, I think the reality, the way the way this season is shaping up, um, the the eight teams that are going to make the playoffs in the East are basically almost all settled at this point. And uh, you, you know, you're looking at you're looking at a, a dose of the Florida teams, Tampa and Florida. Carolina's playing extremely well. The Penguins got their mojo back. You know, there's Washington in the mix. The Rangers are a drastically improved team. Um, there's no weak links in this. There, there's no weak links in this Eastern Conference. As uh, it doesn't matter who the and Boston, of course, uh, who are always tough. Uh, you know, you got to go into the playoffs against uh, Bergeron and uh, maybe they don't have Chara back there anymore. But you got Bergeron and Marshawn and uh, uh, Pasternak. They've certainly they've certainly caused Leafs some damage over the past. But the reality is, there are no. Uh, there's not going to be any easy nights in the playoffs this year. In for any the East. team, really, for any team. They, they are all they are all good teams, and any one of those teams, any one of those teams in the East could potentially go to the Stanley Cup. I wouldn't be surprised by any of them. They are all ultra competitive, um, and. And uh, you know it's going to be it's going to be a tough grind for the Leafs. It really doesn't matter. Finishing first is always is obviously always uh, you know you, you always strive for that. But uh, it, it doesn't matter where you finish in the East this year. You are going to have a tough matchup in the first round of the playoffs. There's no question about it. Yes. Yeah, Pittsburgh uh, goaltending is very good. I'm yeah, impressed with Jerry. He's, yeah, Tristan Jerry's been playing out the lights, and you know, maybe if we get a minute or two at the end of the show, maybe we'll talk about Jack Campbell and and Peter Mrazek. On that note, uh, it's time for our break. When we come back from break, we'll have Canadian Soccer Hall of Famers Carmen and Marcantonio and Roberto Iarushi. Look forward to it. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville asked. Do you want to meet the hot Hawaiian of your dreams? This hot Hawaiian is slathered in bacon, red onion, spicy sausage, pineapple and hot banana peppers. A large thin crust is just $16.99. One bite and you'll say, Lew, wow! You might even get a lay on the beach. Call Pizzaville at pound 3636 on your cell phone. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. 
Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. We all value our sporting heroes. But what price would you put on one in mint condition? If you ask us, you'll get an honest answer. Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise is looking to buy your vintage collection of hockey, basketball, baseball, football, and soccer heroes. Come and see us in person at our new Toronto Mint Inc. Gallery, now open at 198 Davenport, east of Avenue Road, or visit our store online at mintink.ca. Show us what you got, and we'll show you the money. Think Mint Inc. They're not here to be nice. They're here to be right. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning. Welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live on the new AM740 in Toronto. We're also on FM96.7, and we stream on the Internet all over the world, www.zoomerradio.ca. We're pleased to welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour Canadian Soccer Hall of Famers, Carmen and Marcantonio, and Roberto Yerushi. Good morning, gentlemen. Carmina, you first. How are you this morning, Carmina? Good, good morning to you, Walter, Nance, and Roberto that I haven't seen in, in the longest time. But um, well, I'm down still in the Sunshine State in Miami, enjoying, enjoying the beautiful view of the Atlantic Ocean. Well, good. God bless you, Carmina. Roberto, we have you this morning. How are you today, Bob? Well, I, I'm also very good, Walter and Naz. Good morning to you, and uh, I say good morning from the frozen tundra of Mississauga. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm well, glad just Carmen a... is having such a good time. Yeah, I hope I got... that he's not putting too much syrup on his waffles. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, I know you guys are really good friends and have been friends since you played minor soccer in the Toronto area in the early 1970s with a club that I'm very familiar with. You guys are proud alumni of the Westwood Soccer Club, which was the dominating youth soccer club in the, in Ontario and the young in the in in the early 1970s. You guys both graduated to the North American Soccer League, uh, played played uh, won championships in the North American Soccer League, played with some of the best players in the history of the sport on the same teams and against them. Of course, I'm talking about uh, players like the names of Pelé, Cruyff, Kinalia, Beckenbauer. You guys have seen the best of soccer, uh, the best in, in historical terms. You've seen the best of Canadian soccer. You are the best of Canadian soccer. You are both capped. You both proudly wore the red and white for our country. You're both proud Canadians. You're both Canadian Soccer Hall of Famers. Uh, Bob, uh, I'm going to go to you first time around on this one, and then to you, Carmina. Bob, we are on the threshold of making history uh, in Canada. We, uh, based on the last three performances, we are literally just one point away from qualifying for the World Cup. Uh, I can't say that it's unexpected, but uh, I didn't see it playing out this way. I did see Ken. I wouldn't say they're dominating the group, but they are in first place in the group. They are four points clear of the arch nemesis, the United States and Mexico. I believe we're eight points clear of Panama and nine of Costa Rica. We are we are this a hair close to, to making it. How how does this make you feel, Bob? Well, I think it's a fantastic moment in sports. Period. Uh, yes, for soccer in this country and uh, how we've suffered over the uh, 
the generations. Um, Carmen and I were part of the uh, the 1982 Barcelona qualification uh, series, so uh, we know how it how it felt uh, not to qualify by one goal. So I I will uh, I will say this: I want to congratulate uh, Jason DeVos, uh, John Herdman for hurting this team together, if I may use that pun. Um, they've done a tremendous job. They're deep uh, at all positions. Uh, and uh, they've been able to overcome a whole bunch of uh, obstacles, which CONCACAF probably has more than any other region in, in the world. Um, and to lead, to lead the, uh, the group of eight by four points with three games to go is just a magnificent achievement. Never mind the, uh, the, official, the, the official note that we haven't qualified yet. We're, we've qualified and then some. There's no way that uh, that uh, Canada will not be able to, um, uh, to to qualify officially after we play Costa Rica and uh, and I I don't I can't, just can't say enough. I'll leave some of the more superlatives to my good friend Carmen to add to that. I really I really am so so proud and in, in many ways um, you know I'm overwhelmed by it. Ten minutes. Yeah, I mean, uh, Robbie hit it right on the nail. I mean, this is a team that has been uh, just amazing. I mean, there's no other word. And uh, the fact is, uh, a lot of credit goes to, as uh, Robbie said, to Jason DeVos, first of all, because he's now, let's say, on the technical side, uh, head of uh, Football Canada, I like to call it, by the real name, football, as you know, Walter. And, uh, and uh, you know, Herdman uh, and his staff, I mean, Mauro Biello's assistant and all the coaching staff have done an amazing job, first of all, assembling some, some quality young players that um, a lot of them are playing in Europe. I think that makes a big difference that uh, these uh, boys have been playing now a few years, some of them, and of course the major soccer league, uh, the others, uh, so at the top level, and, uh, you know, in Europe, a uh, heavy game means something. So they've got the experience of what it means to, to you know, to become a, a team, a unit, and that's what they've become. They they fight for each other. They love to play for each other. And uh, if I look at the last window, you know, the three games, it's it's amazing that John Herman used to basically every game he changed at least four five uh, last game from uh, the U.S. to to El Salvador. There were seven changes from the starting lineup, and so that tells you that doesn't matter who shows up on you know for that game, they're gonna you know uh, uh, just sweat uh, you know blood and, and tears and make sure that they're gonna get the results. And you know they're not number one by fluke, as Bobby said. They, they don't concede much, Walter. They, they won the last three games at zero two two zero, and they haven't conceded a goal. They, I think, only conceded like four or five. They're number one in goal scoring, uh, and they're number one in in in, in, uh, in the in the uh, statistic, and number one team in Concacaf. So uh, it's not official. Let's not forget because uh, with that one point, and we gotta go to Costa Rica. We gotta go still to Panama. And the last game, I think it's at home against uh, Jamaica, if I remember well. So, I mean, like Bobby said, we're, we're almost two feet in the World Cup. And, uh, and, uh, and hopefully this team is going to remain number one and, uh, and they'll be 
but it's been clumped a cup. And that's, uh, I want to turn it over to you. John Herdman is uh, a guy that we need to talk about. Because I remember a couple of years ago when he was hired, we weren't too happy with the hiring. None of us. And look what he's done. He's built a women's team, and now he's built a men's team. How important is he to the whole mix? Well, Bobby, I mean, I was Bobby. another one who was skeptical. I, I'll be very honest, because, um, I mean, notwithstanding the good work that John did with the women's team, he really didn't have a resume handling a, a men's program. And so um, I was a little leery. I, I could imagine that Jason had... <coughs> had, um, you know, uh, hundreds of uh, applicants on his desk that he could have gone through with with a stronger resume behind him than John. But what John does have, and probably is the most important prerequisite of coaching today, and uh, he's taken a page, page out of uh, the great Sir Alex Ferguson, is the ability to man-manage. And today, guys, you know, I hear when I hear people talking about four four two and four three three, then I know that they don't know very much about soccer, because the game of soccer are, uh, you know, the the ability to fuse with with each other, uh, the ability to uh, want the other player to do well, even if he plays in your position, uh, you know, the ability to be there at all costs, uh, fight for each other, like Carmen said. And, uh, and, and to dedicate yourself to the final cause. That's very hard to do because in the way are people's egos. They all want to play. They all want to be showcased. And if they feel they've been done wrong, they're going to talk behind people's back. It's human nature. And what John has done is he's eliminated all that. And if, and if nothing else, that's the most important part of coaching, in my opinion, and not only soccer and any type of high-performance program of, of athletics. Uh, before I go to you, I just want to pick up on Bob's comment, um, which was, yeah, when they hired John Herdman, I've I, I got to be honest with you, I was I was critical of it at the time, and with regret now. Uh, it's easy being a Monday morning quarterback now. I had the same concerns Bob had, and uh, they were they had seemed to have changed their game completely under the, the, the guy that they got rid of. I can't remember his name. Um, he was, he was doing well too. Well, they, they were well. well, and then we were criticizing Herdman. But you know, yeah. I I will I will I will unabashedly uh, I wouldn't say you apologize, but I was wrong, uh, and I'm and I'm and I'm more than happy to admit that John Herdman has been wonderful for this particular team. It's almost he's the right man at the right time for the right group of players. You can obviously see that these, as you said, Bob, this team has bonded together. They are having fun. They don't seem yeah. to have the pressure of the world on their shoulders. They go out there and they're having fun. I, I, I find the most incredible part when, uh, when they're playing and they show these pictures of Alfonso Davies, who's injured and wasn't able to play in the last three games. They got him on camera, on social media, and he's having the time of his life watching his teammates playing and he's so excited and he smiles and he jumps up and down when when his teammates and 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 it and it's a wonderful thing to see when a team comes together at the right time with the right coach uh and they may not be the most talented i'm not i don't i'm not even sure they're the most talented team in this group but they are the best team in the classical sense of the term todd Mina, your thoughts yeah, the best team is it's what uh, makes it really resounding because, like you said, maybe player for player, but even that I would argue because with player for player, we had some amazing 
young players. And, you know, some of the two youngest uh, players that worth a lot of money in, in the world's uh, soccer, football, it's uh, Davis by Munich. He's probably one of the, you know, uh, most valuable players as far as body is concerned. And, and David now, apparently, everybody wants him. You know, he plays for Lille, and uh, his worth is at least 50 million euros, if not more. And I know there's the biggest clubs in Europe are up to him. He's going to move. He's going to leave the Lille, and, you know, the Stockings in Milan wants him, and Liverpool wants him, all the, all the big clubs. Barcelona wants him. So, and, you know, Atchison at 39 is, 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 is an amazing player. He's been playing in Turkey. And what about other good uh, they're good there. I can't even say his name. The left footback. I mean these are these are players that somehow we didn't know about them other than Alfonso and, and David, the Laren. I mean, you know, these are great players and, and you gotta give kudos to John Herdman. I told Bobby after the first game, I mean I remember we had that conversation against Honduras when we tied and, and the Bobby wasn't sure about Herdman. I said, Bobby, listen, we gotta give this man a chance before we we you know criticize anyone. I think it's only the first game. Let let's give him a chance and and let's see what he's able to do. Because he was amazing with the women program. I mean he he, he built that program and and Jason Devos in picking in knew something that nobody else knew in Canada that this guy is a psychologist, is a philosopher, is a social sociologist, whatever you know. He's a great public relation. He could communicate with media. He communicates with his players. He's, he's, a, he's an amazing coach because he's got the team playing also. I mean, we played good football. And we're not number one, I don't think, by food. Okay, We're number one because this team deserves to be number one in CONCACAF. Yes. And I'm going to end it with that because they go like once they qualify, and, and you know, like Bobby said, we we are there. We should be there in Qatar based on what we've done. They go now also mesmerize the world. I think this team will in the in Qatar will do really well, and the big boys better watch out because I yeah. believe in this team. They made me a believer. Yes. Where where are they going to end up in FIFA rankings after this, guys? And how important is it that they move up the ladder in FIFA rankings? Well, I, I think that whole FIFA ranking thing, you know, I mean, when the United States can be ranked number 11 and Mexico number 14, a few people in Zurich need their heads examined. If if those two teams are ranked 11 and 14, where should Canada be? Seven? I mean, well, honestly. They, they'd give be me a tied with Italy if they were seven. <laughs> oh my God! Like, you know. Okay, so there's an exaggeration on both sides. Yeah. Uh, how did how did the United States get to be 11th ranked? Who did they play? Well, did I've always France? Bob. Did they beat Holland? Did they beat Germany? Yeah. Who, who did they play? I don't know. They didn't play anybody? I, I don't know. I have no idea how FIFA ranks teams. I mean, I whatever their algorithm is, it probably needs to be sent back to a mathematician. I never I never understood how Belgium was the top team in the world for two or three years, ranked number one. I mean, good players, golden generation, as they call it. But what did they ever win? Uh, never won anything. Um, so I, I didn't understand how Belgium was number one. In Canada, I think, help me out, Todd, a minute. I think we're up into 30, we're 33. Four, we're number 40 right now. I'm, I'm sure oh, that they're going, to, they're going to reshuffle. Well, the deck. They'll end up being in the, in the low 30s. 
I can't. I, I can't see. I can't see how you can keep this team out of the top thirty at, at this particular moment in time. Well, let's, boys, given, boys, given, I, I, Walter, Walter, yeah. sorry. I mean, let, let's let's get our feet back on on the ground too. I mean, listen, we were ranked number sixty plus not long ago, okay? And even though not perfect, the FIFA ranking is based on international games of, of value that, you know, there's no, most of the games are international. We have some meaning, okay? And so based on victories and, and, and all that, I mean, their ranking obviously is not perfect, but it gives you a picture of where nations are based on their results of the last two, three years. And Belgium has been one of the top teams, in, you know, in their in their performance at the European level, which is, you know, top teams are new, let's say this. And then you got the Brazil, Argentina. That will never change. They're going to be always ranked up there. You know, the seeds are what they are. But, but, you know, when it comes to Canada, you know, now let's, let's, I mean, the ranking right now, I think, reflects what Canada has done in the past and what they've done in the last two years. I mean, Canada... You know, we had a difficult time in the past going to Honduras and El Salvador and Mexico. And never mind. I mean, the last time we played in Honduras, I remember it was embarrassing. We lost eight nothing. That was embarrassing. That was only four years ago. And, and that's, that's when we come to ranking number 80 plus, 90, whatever we were. Now, Canada is down to four, which I think reflects what they've been doing the last two years under Herdman, under the program. I think it, you know they become unbeaten um, um, like they are now in the next three games, next window in March. They could go down as far as you know in the low thirty. Think reflects where Canada should be now in the, in the world rankings, and uh, even though yeah. they're not, uh, they, they're not perfect, but but it reflects, it reflects. Well, you know, it's like tennis. You know, the seeding in tennis. You know, sometimes number one loses in the you know in tennis could lose in the first round. That happens all the time. But but Canada, you know, it, it deserves the position they're at now. I think, like like Belgium, may deserve uh, being number ranked, ranked number one. You know, Carmen, we can agree to disagree. We'll have that. Uh, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll counter that debate at another time. Unfortunately, we've got to, we've got to get to Dick Pound uh, to talk about the Olympics. So, Bob and Carmen, we're going to thank you. Um, I talked to your good friend the other day, Bob Lenarduzzi, and uh, we've all agreed that we're going to do a roundtable, all of us, when Canada goes back at it at the end of March. So I look forward to uh, picking up this conversation, and as Canada heads towards the World Cup, I'm sure we'll have lots of opportunities to uh, to celebrate this great, great year in Canadian soccer. Bob Carmine, thank you so much for this morning. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Take care, guys. Thank you, Walter. Thanks, Max. Have a good day. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Uh, Got Dick Pound coming up. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville declared, We'll never be the fastest. We'll never be the cheapest. We'll never be the snazziest dressed. What? My point is, we want to be the best. At Pizzaville, we want to make the best pizza. Stone-baked, the traditional Italian way. Pizzaville Stone-Baked Pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. We all value our sporting heroes. But what price would you put on one in mint condition? 
If you ask us, you'll get an honest answer. Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise is looking to buy your vintage collection of hockey, basketball, baseball, football, and soccer heroes. Come and see us in person at our new Toronto Mint Inc. Gallery, now open at 198 Davenport, east of Avenue Road, or visit our store online at mintink.ca. Show us what you got, and we'll show you the money. Think Mint Inc. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Opinions expressed on the Naz and Wally Sports Hour are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. There are two ways to argue sports with these guys, and none of them work. The boys are back, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live on the new AM740 in downtown Toronto, 96.7 FM, and streaming www.zoomerradio.ca. We're pleased to welcome back to the Nazimoli Sports Hour the longest-serving member of the International Olympic Committee and the first president of the World Anti-Doping Agency, a gentleman who really requires no introduction, Mr. Richard Pound. Good morning, Richard. How are you this morning? Uh, Very well, indeed. Nice to be with you. Thanks so much for joining us, Richard. The Olympics are on in Beijing. Um, there's a certain level of criticism of what's going on. We certainly don't want to dwell the entire interview with you on the criticism. The Olympic movement is something that has been part of uh, world history and has contributed so much. Uh, so we should never lose sight of the fact of the importance of the Olympic movement and why the Olympic movement was originally founded. So I, we we don't want to necessarily dwell on all the current negative aspects of it. We certainly do want to dwell on some of the positive aspects uh, of the of the movement, Richard. Um, Beijing, uh, some criticism. Let's get it out of the way. Um, you were quoted, I mean, obviously there's a lot of people around the world that think the Olympics shouldn't go on. There's polls that say Canada shouldn't be there. Um, we get into the whole issue of politics and sports. Uh, you were quoted this week as saying... Um, this and then there certainly wasn't much choice in these particular Olympics. There weren't a lot of bidding cities uh, for this particular Olympics, uh, and you said this is not a political exercise. This is a sport exercise, Richard. What did you mean by that? Well, it's just that uh, you, people have these unrealistic expectations of what uh, the International Olympic Committee can actually do in terms of bringing, uh, in terms of bringing about state conduct change and so we've said like, we, we can't do that we, we have no mandate no expertise no power what we do try and, and demonstrate is, is that it is possible for the 206 countries in the Olympic movement to come together every four years uh, live together uh, train together eat together compete together uh, all peacefully and this is something that can't uh, be duplicated by any other organization in the world. So let's let's look at ways of, of creating an inclusive, peaceful 
um, interaction between all of these countries and, and the you know the the youth of these countries, and that and that's a contribution that that nobody else can make, and it's and it's a line of communication you know in its largest sense that that really does need to be open and kept open, and uh, you know every four years for the last um, hundred or so, other than the the two world wars, we've created this island of international peace and, 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 and you know, cooperation. And, and that's worth it. And it. You know, it may not last, but, but it's certainly a lot better than what uh, the professional politicians have been able to accomplish in, in terms of state relationships. Uh, before I turn it over to Naz, Naz, I'm just going to, one more question for, uh, for Richard, then I'll turn it over to you. Uh, the response that, um, a lot of the countries came up this year. There's obviously concern about human rights abuses, the, the uh, what's going on with the Uyghurs, and all kinds of different things in China. The response that a lot of the politicians, or the political response, has been what they call what they're calling a diplomatic boycott. I guess they're withholding their their diplomats from attending the games, and uh, you know you're not finding. Uh, the uh, first lady of the United States going to the games, and the politicians seem to be staying away from it. Um, is that an effective response, Richard? Uh, a diplomatic boycott does that accomplish anything? Well, I think it can if, 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 if it's concerted. I mean, if it's just a, a few here and there, it's not going to affect uh, Chinese conduct. But I mean, states know how to, to deal with with other states. I mean, that's that's their business, and, and you can send all kinds of signals that, that uh, indicate uh, disagreement with or displeasure with or abhorrence of the, whatever may be going on in another state. And, and, and this is one way you can do it. You, you say, we're, we're not going to stand in the way of the athletes who've been training for years and years and years. We agree with the idea that uh, an institution like the Olympic Games really can make a contribution. So we're not we, we've moved away as, as states from calling on, uh, you know, athletes to pay the price for whatever is going on, uh, as has happened. You, know, you may remember back in Moscow in, in 1980, it, it brought, a, brought about zero conduct change on the part of the Soviet Union. So here they're saying, let 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 the kids play, let the let the young people play. Will indicate our displeasure with, uh, in this case, China, but it, it, it has certainly um, been a factor in other Olympic Games, and uh, we will accept the responsibility of having to bring about uh, conduct change in in the, in whatever the target country is. Ness, Richard, you were a um, swimmer back in the sixties, right? Was there a performance enhancing drug around then? And- what do you suspect they took back then? Well, it's a it's a it's an interesting uh, historical explore, uh, exploration here. You know, when I was in the Olympics in Rome, there were no sport rules that prohibited the use of drugs. <laughs> and, you know, there were there, some drugs were prohibited by law, but they tended to be the uh, the opioids and so on. But uh, in the uh, in the Olympic Village in in Rome, uh, you know the weightlifters had been using testosterone and testosterone based uh, products for for years and years and years, and they and it it, it started to spread to the <clears throat> the throwing events in track and field and so on, and, and basically 
uh, they were saying, well, what are you using? And how much are you using? And what it is. And, and uh, it wasn't until actually later in the games in Rome when a Danish cyclist died during one of the, the road races and was found to be uh, laden with uh, some stimulant. I forget exactly which one it was, but it was an ephedrine or something of that nature. And and so the old boys on the IOC at the time, they were all, all old and all boys, um, said, oh, well, look, this, this isn't supposed to happen. You're supposed to come to the games to have fun and so on, not to die because you've been using drugs. And so they, the IOC formed a medical commission, had a subcommission on doping and biochemistry, and, and said, all right, let's find out what, what they're taking and make up a list of, of banned uh, substances so that uh, you know, you're not going to have people uh, taking things. It, it, you know, and, and then, of course, it's competitors being competitors. They say, how much are you taking this stuff? And they say, oh, well, five milligrams. So, well, I don't, I, I'm not trying to level the playing field. I'm trying to beat you, so I take 10. You find out I'm taking 10, and you go up to 20, and you know, pretty soon you're getting up to the level of, of toxic or even lethal dosages. So we started, we, we prepared the list. The IOC prepared the first list of uh, prohibited substances, and it, it came into effect in uh, 1968, at the, at the first at the Winter Games in Grenoble and then later in Mexico, and it's been, it has evolved ever since then, and, and the, the most recent uh, evolution is, is the creation of, uh, of the World Anti-Doping Agency that uh, you mentioned in the intro, um, and, and a, a single set of rules that, that applies to all athletes, all countries, all sports, uh, called the World Anti-Doping uh, Code, uh, and then, so that's what's in there now, and it's a it's a much more sophisticated uh, operation of involving testing and research and uh, the use of intelligence and then uh, informants and so forth. And it's it's actually becoming surprisingly effective. Not not perfect yet, but it's it's a, we're way ahead of where where, you, where we used to be. Richard, I just want to follow up on 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 that point. Uh, um, you were the first president of WADA. You are the most significant figure in the uh, in, in, in the history of, of the sport in terms of trying to get doping out of sport. We've just touched upon it. You've just introduced some concepts about you know intelligent testing and that type of thing. We see the Russians are competing under the ROC banner um, uh, as a penalty for their transgressions of a few years back. What is the state of doping in the sports world right now? Uh, doesn't seem to have been that many um, eruptions lately. That, uh, but I'm sure efforts are still being uh, made to try and get around the rules. Have have the doping agencies, for lack of a better term, uh, caught up? Well, I, I would say, you know, the 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 advantage, as in, you know. If you're a bank robber, you know which bank you're going to rob and what day it is. And if you're the police, you sort of have to wait to to uh, uh, find out what, what that's uh, you know what happened and then investigate uh, that further. So what we do now is is uh, make sure that everybody's aware of the uh, the, the list and the uh, and, and what's on it. Uh, we can do a lot of uh, advanced research, and then we actually do work with the uh, the pharma industry 
saying, you know, what what molecules are you are you working on? And and you know, one of the Aretha Poetin was, was a something that, that allowed the blood to absorb more oxygen. So you know, if you're you're a bent coach, you say, oh, more oxygen to the muscles. Hmm. You know, doesn't matter that it was first uh, developed to, to you know help cancer patients build up their blood supply after operations, and um, and so we you know we we work with the pharma industry to to see if we can anticipate what might be used, and we work with them to develop tests that will identify it. So it's it, it we're, it's far more proactive than it used to be, and uh, I think that is. Uh, that is becoming better understood as as time goes on. Nez, what's the Olympic policy on COVID nineteen once somebody catches it in the Olympics? What is the uh, wait time after they get caught? I I, I think it, 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 it used to be something like twenty one or fourteen days. I think it's down to five days uh, now, as, as we learn a little bit more about it, especially with the Omicron uh, variant of it. And uh, so, in Canada, for example, we we just said, uh, if you want to be on our Olympic team, you've got to be vaccinated. And you know, you you get a few of the anti-vaxxers scream about human rights, and you say, well, uh, sue us. By the time you get any kind of a judgment, uh, the games will be over, and, and you will have lost your chance to participate. So you, sometimes you have to take. Uh, uh, those kind of steps, but in uh, I would say you know in Beijing today, if you're if you're in what they call the closed loop system, uh, you're probably in the safest part of the world uh, as far as uh, COVID is concerned. So they they do a lot of testing before you get into the bubble, and and once you're in, it's very unlikely that you will. Uh, um, you catch it uh, uh, while you're in there. Uh, talking to Richard Pound. Richard, I promised you we'd talk about some of the positive aspects of the Olympic movement. And, you know, sometimes we tend to focus on the criticism up until the time the games start. And when the games start and some of our Canadian athletes start accomplishing incredible, uh, and, uh, their accomplishments become uh, really uh, world-class, you know, Andre DeGrasse and Damian Warner and the women's soccer team from the last Olympics being prime examples of that. I'm sure at some point uh, we will get as a nation behind our athletes. They are wearing our colors. They will be playing our national anthem, and we'll all be very proud of them. Um, I want to talk about the Olympics from a personal perspective, Dick. You competed in the 1960 Rome Olympics as a swimmer. You were a world-class swimmer. How did those Olympics change your life? Well, it, it certainly broadened uh, enormously. You know, in 1960, we were at the nadir of the, the Cold War, and you remember how the, the Soviets were, you know, pictured as sort of basically faceless uh, villains. And it, when I was there, and I saw a whole bunch of Russian swimmers, with, you know, we couldn't speak each other's language and so on, but. But they became people uh, rather than symbols, and and you know, a hundred meters was just as long for for them as it was for me, and 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 so you, you each know what went into getting you to the Olympics and and, and to the finals, if you were uh, 
if you were fortunate. And, uh, and and so there's a there's kind of a shared understanding that builds up, and and and, and I took that away uh, uh, from the games, and, and remember that as as a a, a, a change in in uh, my approach to international stereotypes. So it ended up being a, a wonderful experience and I've really I've stayed in sport uh, because if there's anything I can do to, to give somebody of, of this generation an opportunity to have the, the same level of fun and uh, exposure that uh, I had, uh, it's well worth it. A uh, couple more questions, Richard, then we'll let you go. But first, I'll turn it over to Naz, and then I have one wrap-up one. Go ahead, Naz. Sure. Naz, are you still there? Yes. Go ahead, uh, Naz. Uh, last question for you, and then I'll have one wrap-up one for Richard. Richard, do you see Canada bidding on any future Olympics coming up? Uh, yeah, I do. I do. I, I mean, I think we have demonstrated that we that we can organize really great games, and and uh, you know, you can if you give the games to Canada, you can be sure that they'll uh, they will they will take place and that they'll be uh, well run. So, I I, I kind of hope that uh, we may look again at the at the Winter Games for 2030. I think that would be a a, a, a great opportunity to do it in back out in, in British Columbia. And, but it'll it'll take us another probably six months or so after we get finished with the Beijing to focus on that to, to see whether or not it's feasible. But uh, no, I think we're 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 on the A list of uh, of potential hosts. Um, just following up on the on the two thousand and thirty Olympics um, um, there's some uh, reports out this week that uh, we are considering, Canada's considering an Indigenous bid for the 2030 Winter Olympics. Um, that would be um, that would be a striking idea. Your thoughts, Richard? I, I think uh, sort of on the international marketplace, if, if that's the, the right description for it, I, I think that would be very interesting because uh, many countries are much more focused on on indigenous uh, peoples and and the you know, a combination of the the past and, and present and future uh, integration of them in in uh, the overall society so i think that would be great uh, and and i think it would be it, in fact there was a fair amount of indigenous uh, involvement in the in the 2010 games in in uh, vancouver and whistler so this this would be building on a, a number of very successful relationships that were started uh, at that time. Uh, and we'll wrap it up with this one, uh, Richard. Um, one of the other areas of the Olympics that's received criticism is sometimes the scale of them becomes uh, to an to a point that some people considered excessive. The Sochi being the prime example, $56 billion spent. Um, what is the future of the Olympic? I'll, I'll just say this way. What is the future of the Olympic Games and the Olympic movement? I, I think it's very, frankly, very healthy. Uh, the, the, you know, the $56 billion, uh, I, I've never been certain that that's uh, a, a real number as opposed to a manufactured number. But it. it uh, I remember when... Uh, Russia was bidding for the games. He said, "Look, when we were the Soviet Union, we had all of the 
winter facilities that, that we needed. Uh, but he said, they're now in the hands of our our competitors. And uh, the, what the, the, the vision was for, for Sochi was to, to, to have a, a winter sport center, yeah. um, both for, for tourism and for national use and also for international use. But the, the, what they didn't have at the time in the Caucasus was, was, was the alpine and, 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 and mountain side of things. So they had to build that. And, and uh, as, as the, the bid committee at the time said, look, uh, yes, Europe's, Europe has all of this stuff already. Uh, they've had 100 years to, to develop it. We need to do it in the next seven years. And and so they they established an entire alpine a- apparatus. Uh, I think it, the the tourism side of it took a, a beating when the, when the, the Russian Federation invaded uh, the Caucasus or the, not the Caucasus the um, where uh, I'm sorry blocking on this but in in, in the Crimean area. Um, and so they they didn't get the, the the legacy that they probably should have. But uh, that said, we what we've what we've done recently is changed the way in which we are awarding the games. We don't sort of just sit in Lausanne and, and wait to see what bids come through the transom. Uh, we we said no, wait a minute, these are our games. We should be out looking for the best hosts and and discussing with potential hosts. How can we make this good for both of us, and and be a lot more flexible in in terms of you know, spreading some of the events around in, in in within a territory and all that kind of stuff that will take advantage of what's there already, uh, allow upgrading rather than starting from scratch, and uh, making sure that uh, that when the games are over, the the host country has. Uh, has, has, has a, an enduring benefit that uh, comes from that. Uh, we've been talking, Richard Pound. Richard, the Olympics, uh, some of the greatest, if not the greatest moments in Canadian sport have occurred at the Olympics. There's so many examples of them. Nancy Green, uh, Damian Warner, Andrew DeGrasse, the Canadian men's hockey team in Salt Lake, the women's hockey team, the women's soccer team. The list is endless. It's always it's always an incredible moment when we see that Canadian flag uh, raised and we get to belt out our national anthem. It is certainly important, and I'd like to take the opportunity of thanking you because I know in in, in Canadian history you've been such a big part of that, and uh, you deserve our thanks. Thanks so much, Richard. Well, I, I, I think our athletes deserve it. So watch them, watch them in Beijing, and, and cheer. It's Team Canada. We certainly will. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Naz. We just got uh, we just got uh, about thirty seconds left. Actually, I've just been told we have no time left. <laughs> so, no time. <laughs> there's no time. So, Naz, uh, really quickly, last word. Next week is Super Bowl Sunday. Let's see what happens. We'll see what happens. To all our listeners, have a fantastic week. To our producer, Owen, I don't get a chance to thank you. Uh, thanks for so much for keeping us on the air in these difficult circumstances. Have a great week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.